Good morning, Unionville Alliance. It was two years ago this week that it really began to sink home that COVID-19 was something we had to take seriously. Borders were being closed, and for you in Ontario, March break trips were cut short, and even Parliament shut its doors, and Ontario declared a state of emergency. And we heard about these things while we were in Germany. And you know, there's been so much change in the past two years in how we work, how we go to school, how we socialize, and how we worship. How does the church, the body of Christ, live in this world? How does Unionville Alliance make its presence known to its neighbors? When people are even less likely to enter the church building than they were before the pandemic, when everyone is so tired, and now Ukraine. So much has changed, but some things have not. Our families, friends, and neighbors still need to hear about Jesus. And our responsibility as the church is to share the good news, and that remains unchanged before, during, after the pandemic. And as we heard in the scriptures this morning, the harvest is here. The workers are still few, but the Holy Spirit is calling and leading the way. So in 2017, we made the decision to trust the call of the Holy Spirit. We took early retirement, as Will said, and we moved to Germany as international workers with the Alliance. It's a privilege for us to be here today at Unionville to share a little bit about how we saw God at work while we were your international workers. And we're grateful to have had the opportunity to serve, and we're grateful for churches that take the Great Commission Seriously, churches like Unionville. And we're just ordinary people. And you know, to be honest, for me, it's a bit nerve-wracking coming to speak in a church that has had so many international workers speak, where you hear from mission speakers each month. You know, those who have planted churches. And you know, our training fits more of support workers. We are just everyday believers who have said yes to serving, first in Ontario, and then in Germany. So as you heard, you know, we had secular jobs, if you want to use that word, secular jobs. And we raised two children. And between us, between the two of us, we have half a seminary degree. So our job was not, in that sense, to plant churches. You know, we're not qualified. But we are called. And we are called to tell Jesus a story. So our calling is that of the everyday Christian to serve using the gifts that God has given us. And so you wonder, and we wondered, how can God use those gifts to serve those in Germany? And so, you know, in telling Jesus' story, we always need to remain sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, allowing the Spirit to guide us, to go before us, paving the way for the message of Jesus. He is the one who makes hearts thirsty. He is the one that calls souls to him. And so really, when you think you're not qualified, we're not qualified, it's the Holy Spirit who qualifies us to further his kingdom. I was excited to hear about your Tuesday prayer for the persecuted church, because I spent most of my time while we were in Germany working in support of the persecuted church in the Middle East and North Africa. The Alliance is one of the member organizations of a group called Middle East Concern, and you're going through the world watch list. Open Doors is also a member of Middle East Concern. 
and we work to protect the religious rights of Christians in the 24 countries of the Middle East and North Africa. And it's been my privilege to be part of that effort for the past four years, and I'm still continuing that work now that we're back in Canada. Middle East Concern works with local churches. We assist victims of persecution by offering encouragement. We mobilize worldwide prayer, and we provide practical and financial support. MEC is also involved in advocacy. We challenge unjust laws, unjust policies, and the attitudes that underlie persecution, and we campaign for the reinstatement of civil rights for converts from Islam. Those facing persecution have a hope in Jesus Christ that goes beyond their circumstances. They are so encouraged that their brothers and sisters care enough to pray, and that's why things like this Tuesday night are so important. Their faith is an inspiration. Now, my work was primarily online. Communications is online these days, and that's what I do. Vivian's work, on the other hand, was face-to-face. She was working mostly with Middle Eastern refugee women. She was helping them with German language and culture, and she was praying for them and for their relationships and trying to establish those relationships with them. And when I could, I also would visit refugee families with her. So we had hoped to be part of God's harvest. And there you see grapes that was five minutes from where we lived, we were able to walk in the vineyards. And so often I remembered the passage from John 15. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so we had hoped to be part of God's harvest. And you know, that was the work we were expecting to do. And we soon, soon learned that in the area of Germany where we lived, it was more planting of seeds of the gospel or, as you'll see in the next picture, moving rocks from the fields to allow them to be plowed, standing in the gap, praying for the church planters. And on one day that I was particularly discouraged, saying, well, where is the fruit? Where is the harvest? I saw this vineyard, and I saw those rocks. And God spoke to me that day, and he said, you know what? You're being called to be a rock mover. You aren't going to see a lot of fruit. But in faith, be willing to move the rocks. Are you willing to do that? And that was a big call for me because I wanted to see the fruit. I wanted to see all that you know, exciting thing. And instead, our work was primarily moving rocks. So many refugees, after the initial excitement of getting to Germany, where they're now physically safe, began to see how long the road still would be. And we could see many lose hope. They had fled war and poverty for a new life in Europe, only to discovered that to learn German would not be easy. And it would be especially hard to make connections with Germans. You know, it's like that for refugees in Canada too. It's slow work and discouraging if you measure it in terms, as I said, of visible fruit. The women and families I met and I helped them with German or to help them with official paperwork hadn't yet realized that Jesus is the one who brings life. And I was able to share about that but often they weren't ready to hear his voice yet. Isn't that often the case with people that we meet? And isn't it often the case we say, well, I don't want to share Christ because they don't want to hear. But you know, Jesus asks us 
to take that step anyway. And in the slowness of the work, God was trusting me more and more to trust the Holy Spirit, to allow God to use the small ways to show love to others and to let him worry about the results. And you know, sometimes that means just helping where there is a need, offering physical water rather than the living water that we longed to offer. As Vivian said, our hope was that we would be part of a time of harvest. And instead, our work, as we realized looking back, our work was more like the work of John the Baptist. We were forerunners, doing what we could to prepare people to hear about Jesus. And the refugees that we met usually seemed to have little interest in him. We were able to offer that metaphorical cup of water, but most didn't want more. They, didn't, they weren't ready yet to hear about living water. And sometimes it seemed that the Holy Spirit wasn't moving at all. But we learned that we have to listen for that quiet voice, and we need to be prepared to take a chance and sometimes do things that we didn't want to do. And to always remember that God's timing isn't our timing. Certainly, that was a case on a particularly Tuesday that we want to tell you about. So Germany took in 800,000 Syrians in 2015, which was over 1.2 million refugees that year, more than 10 times what Canada did. So you can imagine the need. The German social services were overwhelmed. And I'm not a social worker, but I do speak German, and there was lots for me to do. So yes, I got involved in German language instruction in the community college because I learned that by going out and being willing to serve, that God would then bring opportunity to speak about Christ and to invite people to the local church. I visited women in their homes, and so many were lonely and cut off from family, un unable to understand language and culture. And the Holy Spirit gave me the ability to show love without words and to help them using flannel graph. Any of you remember the old flannel graph that you think is completely outdated and no one would want that? That was my biggest opportunity to share Christ. Middle Eastern women love flannel graph. Who would have thought? And who would have thought that that's how I came to Christ? was in that old-fashioned way of flannel graph. And what a joy to see that I was able to use that to reach women now. So usually on Tuesdays, I would visit the nearby village to see my Syrian friend, and I'll just call her R, to spend time with her and help her with German. But this Monday, she canceled. She wasn't interested in German that day. So my day, I thought I would catch up on paperwork, go to the local community college, visit a refugee friend, who had been hospitalized for, with depression and wanted me to come visit. But do you ever have one of those days where nothing goes as you have planned? So I spent that morning on the phone unexpectedly helping uh, with a personnel issue with another mission, and then the doorbell rang. So it was a German friend, someone who also volunteered with working with refugees, and she needed to talk. I was quite happy it was Vivian she needed to talk with, not me. So, so Vivian and the friend went for a walk and talk and prayer. And then R called. Could Vivian drop by for a visit and some German study that afternoon? Well, the easy answer was no. She'd canceled the previous day and said that she wasn't interested. And Roe had made little progress over 18 months of Vivian working with her. 
She hadn't shown all that much enthusiasm or dedication because she was able to live her life in an Arabic-speaking bubble, and German just seemed to be an afterthought. Vivian's day was already more than full. And after all, we had planned to get together on Monday, and I decided not to get together on Monday, so clearly I wasn't going to be available on Tuesday when I already had a busy day. And this was an example for me of kicking and screaming inside. It was a chaotic day. I'd already had enough interruptions for a day. It's not how I planned my day. But you know, I prayed for guidance. And with that German sister who came by, I prayed again, God, would you show me and help me be obedient? So I didn't want to see R, but I distinctly felt that nudging, I should say yes. I could delay the hospital visit. I could go visit the other person later in the day. Lauren could postpone dinner. It would be okay. And when I arrived in the village, I saw that R was already outside waiting for me, except guess what? It was the weekly traveling food truck. So R had planned her time badly. She had decided not to have German on Monday. She wanted it on, on Tuesday. When I came, she didn't want it anymore. Can you imagine I was not feeling impressed? And here was the food truck. Ugh. So what kind of planning is this? But you know, her village was even smaller than ours, and there was absolutely no place to buy food. The only thing you could buy in that village was wine. Doesn't work for Muslims, does it? And the closest store is a half an hour's walk if you walk quickly and don't have two young children in tow. And the food truck gives refugees access to staples and more importantly, fresh produce that they could otherwise not afford. So grudgingly, I waited while she shopped. So she picked out some food and handed her card to the official. In his task, he checks the validity of the card. And then, what happened this day? He didn't hand the card back. And then, he started gathering up her food. And R started to panic. So I was able to ask in German, what was the problem? So he showed Vivian that R's card had expired. He explained that he told her what to do to get a new one, but she hadn't done it. And to us, that was no surprise. We discovered early on that German officials really didn't comprehend how little German the refugees understood. Most Germans don't understand how difficult that language is to learn. And as a result, the refugees, when someone would speak to them in German, they would just say yes, because it would be shameful to admit that they didn't understand. So the official told Vivian that, well, he'd given R an extension already. He was sorry, but rules are rules, and they must be followed. He said that the municipality had also sent a letter to R. Turns out, no surprise, she hadn't understood that either. And nor had her husband. So the official said it was out of his hands. He only checks permits once a month, which meant that they were now going to have a month with no access to subsidized groceries. And I was able to communicate to R that she had received a letter. So she went inside, got the letter from the municipality. Well, it wasn't the right letter, but there was a phone number. And I was able to phone to see what could be done. And you know, they're very efficient in Germany. And someone answered the phone right away and agreed that our friend R was eligible for food for her family, but that she needed to do the paperwork. And I got the idea of asking the person on the phone, would he? confirmed to the truck driver, the person who provided the food, that this family was indeed eligible. So that was done. And then I just talked to the man, and I smiled at him, and I thanked him and said, you know what? His job must be really hard, 
and thank you for giving that one month extension the previous month. And then he handed the card back and then he started to hand the food back because he gave another month's extension. And so R had shown very little interest in the gospel, but she knows that I am a woman of prayer. And if nothing else, she knows, because she knows that I was a Christ follower, the Jesus follower, that someone had prayed for her and that I was the woman that would come and pray blessings on her children. So sometimes you just never know. And sometimes kicking and screaming is what we need to do. For Vivian, this was another reminder that she needed to hold her daily schedule loosely because she never knew, sometimes from one hour to the next, what the day was going to bring. And she learned very quickly, or maybe not that not quickly, so not that quickly. Remember, <laughs> not so spiritual. <laughs> to trust the quiet nudging of the Holy Spirit. That afternoon, she did not want to go to Iris Village. She was kicking and screaming inside and asking God if she was really hearing him. Yet Vivian was obedient to the sense that, yes, she should go. Sharing the gospel with people from Muslim backgrounds is time-consuming. Yes, you've heard the stories. There are those who come to Christ in a flash, with Jesus appearing to them in dreams and visions. For most, though, it's a long process. It can take hundreds of interactions with Christians over a period of years. Did you hear that? Hundreds. R and her family barely understand that there's a God who loves them. But she and Vivian are still exchanging messages now that we're back in Canada. And sometimes she'll send a message, can you come visit today? <laughs> her children especially miss Vivian, and they're too young to grasp the distance between Germany and Canada. Lord willing, we are going to see them later this year. We're hoping to visit Germany then at some point. And Ars' husband was one who had more spiritual interest than his wife, and he was willing to accept a copy of the book of Luke in Arabic. And he said that, you know, he'd noticed that Vivian was different from the other Germans, because Canadian German, it's all the same to them. Vivian really cared for his wife. So weeks later, when he was asked, he said, well, he found the book really hard to understand. So Vivian said that we, are, we would pray for a male to come along and speak more with him because, unfortunately, my German and his German combined was not enough for a spiritual conversation. So we were praying for someone who would speak Arabic, who would come along and be able to share more with him. And when we moved back to Canada, he was insistent that, you know, we had to come over for a big farewell meal. So as Canadians, we're often very curious, and sometimes that means... Cautious. Uh, cautious and curious, but yes, cautious in this cautious case. cautious curious. <laughs> and if I dare say, you know what, do we... I guess we don't really trust God, right? We say that we do, and we're wary about believing that the Holy Spirit can be nudging us. We say, well, God, Holy Spirit must be speaking to someone else, but if we don't hear an audible, really clear voice, then it can't be the Holy Spirit. But we know that the scriptures say... And yet there's a disconnect between sometimes the theory we know and our practice. And in order to allow the Spirit to work through us, we have to develop that trust. And sometimes we're going to be led into situations that are difficult. And sometimes God surprises us, like the day we went to pick up L to take him to church. 
One of the things that we're very aware of is the need to be sensitive to the unspoken cultural rules of those that we meet. And just before Learn goes on, would you pray for this family? Because now somebody has arrived who speaks this man's language, and we are praying for a connection for the man. Because so often, it's through the mail that you really need to have that, intera that spiritual interaction. Uh, for example, in, uh, one of the things that we would do to be culturally sensitive, if I was driving people to an event, and a woman and children were coming, but the husband wasn't, we would ask him for permission so that his wife could ride in the car with me. Because culturally in the Middle East, a married woman would not be riding with someone, someone else's husband. We didn't want to do anything that would create unnecessary barriers with those that we were serving. Sometimes, though, the Holy Spirit can prompt you to ignore those cultural constraints. And as Vivian mentioned, there was the day that we went to pick up L. He was a new believer who had accepted Christ through the ministry of some of our colleagues. And the day after L accepted Jesus, those colleagues left for a year in the US. So they asked us, if, can you come alongside L on his spiritual journey? So we arranged that we would take him to church with us. He liked coming to church, even though he did not understand much German at all. He said he did, but we knew that he wasn't able to follow it much. But so we would drive to his village to pick him up and bring him with us. And on this particularly Sunday morning, L was late. Now, unlike many people in his culture, L is never late. And when we showed up at the refugee camp where he lived, he just wasn't waiting outside like he normally was. Now, visitors are not allowed in refugee camps. And this one actually is an apartment building. And visitors were especially not allowed during COVID. But there were two men sitting at the outside of the picnic table smoking. And we didn't see Elle anywhere. And we'd been waiting a few minutes. And Vivian, because she's the one with the German, she got out of the car and spoke to them. So I asked them if they knew Elle. And they said, yes, they did. And that he was actually expecting us, but that he had slept in. He had had a very late night call with his wife, who had not yet been able to come to Germany. He was in the shower. He'd be coming. So culturally, I shouldn't have then been continuing the conversation with two Middle Eastern men on my own. But I felt the spirit prompting. So at least I'm pointing. There's my husband in the car. He's waiting. And this man, O, is from Turkey, and H was from Iran. And they both spoke much better German than L or as Lorne would say, or Lorne. And they were curious as to what our connection with L was, with Germans, because they thought I was German. And Germans very rarely visit refugees. And I felt that I should be direct. Like normally, I would not be saying, well, I'm taking this other person to a church. But this time, I thought I should just say that I'm taking them to a church. So they asked more and more questions, and then asked if they could come too. So ordinarily, of course, we'd say, sure, come in the car. But it was COVID times. And not only did you have to pre-register for church, you know all about that, but you weren't supposed to have that many unrelated people in the car. So the next week, we took O to church with us. He had a part-time job that required him to work on Sunday morning. H Sorry, H, H did, so therefore O could come. It's really weird using just you know, letters of the alphabet. So O had been in Germany less than a year, but had picked up the language well. And his wife and six-year-old son were back in his home country. 
And he is an Alawite Muslim. And he said that the past few years, he'd been reading a lot in the Bible. And he had visited some German churches. But no one on those visits to churches where he had taken the courage to go to a church spoke to him about the Lord. Now, the church we attended in Germany has a cafe on the ground floor. And after the worship service, people stick around drinking coffee. And that Sunday, we brought O with us to the cafe. Now, I don't know if you know German culture or Middle Eastern culture, but there's a big difference between them when it comes to hospitality and relating to people. Middle Easterners tend to be exuberant. Germans are more reserved. And to Middle Easterners, Germans seem like a cold and unfriendly people. And we've been talking with members of our small group, our Monday night Bible study that we were attending, about these cultural differences, because they were interested in the work that we were doing, and so we would explain. And we said, you know, it's really hard for refugees without much language to come to any event that's in German, let alone a church. So we had encouraged our German friends to come up and say hello anytime they saw us with a newcomer. And after more than three years of our saying this and saying, you know, this is important, this time they did. They came up, they said hello. And you know, there was a ch church member from O's home country of the same religious background. And he had been in Germany most of his life, and he had come to Christ as a teenager, the only one in his family, when love and share care were shown to him by the pastor who's in the middle of the picture that you see on the screen. And the pastor had befriended and shown an interest in this person who came to Christ. And Lauren had texted him to say that we, this um, believer, to say that we we're bringing one of his countrymen with him. And so he came up to say hello. And we had guests coming for lunch, something planned before we met H&O, and we had to leave the church and drive O to the train station. But he wasn't ready to go. And the youth pastor now was explaining the good news of Jesus to him, and he was listening, and he was so excited. So we left him at the church, and the number of people who were ordering food stayed in the cafe. O was invited to join him, and we were assured that someone would drive him to the train station afterwards. And after O's first Sunday at the church, we wrote in our prayer letter, we don't know how O's spiritual journey will progress if he will eventually see the truth that is Jesus Christ. We are praying that he will. What we do know is that a stranger was welcomed in our midst, that there was someone who spoke his heart language who made him feel at home, and he was included in the life of the church and could feel the love, even though that for many of the Germans it was just smiling and, and welcoming him. In that, in that way. This was a very encouraging step for us. And the next week, H came to church also, and he, as it turned out, was a secret believer. He had accepted Christ in his home country, but hadn't been able to publicly declare his faith as the government persecutes and jails those who have become Christians. So in his visit to some German churches, he too had not seemed to encounter those who would talk with him. H and O began coming to church each week. We introduced them to a colleague from a different organization who had experience working with Middle Eastern men whom we thought would be better able to answer his questions. We were excited when we heard both men were taking baptismal classes. And those classes held in German were extended to make sure that the men understood what commitment they were making. 
the decision to follow Jesus could cause problems for them and their families and their home countries. Even though we hadn't been actively involved in the discipleship process, we were asked by the pastor if we would choose scripture verses for each of them for their baptismal service. He knew that we had been praying for them and that we were the ones who'd first brought them to the church. On the morning of the baptism, we're getting ready for church, we're sitting at, well, we're sitting, we're standing in our apartment doing whatever it is that you need to do to get ready before church. And Vivian was lamenting and she's going like, you know, we've been in Germany more than three years now and we're just not seeing any fruit. Nothing is happening. And I had to look at her and remind her that, you know, there's two people being baptized this morning who wouldn't be being baptized if not for her hearing and responding to the Holy Spirit's leading. During the service, each person who was being baptized, and it wasn't just H and O, there was a number of Germans being baptized as well, each candidate was asked to say a few words. And O spoke about how thankful he was to us for bringing him to the church. We had no idea that our being obedient and speaking with these men would be so important in their lives. All we did was break a cultural taboo, speak with men, and were willing to drive them to church. That really was our involvement. Except there was more. We were praying, of course, for these men. For a Middle Easterner, changing religions is a big deal. And in their whole country, you are born into your religion, and that's how you remain. And freedom of religion means the freedom to remain the way that you were born. And so in those countries, as you know, becoming a Christian means losing your family, your friends, losing your job, perhaps even your life. And this week, Lauren, through the work of Middle Eastern Concern, heard of a new convert, a young woman, who was going to be baptized this weekend. And she was martyred this week. That is the true cost. This church service, this baptismal service, was streamlined online for everyone to see. And these two men were willing to make it public. They chose Jesus no matter the cost. And they knew that this service was actually being taped online, which wouldn't have happened pre-COVID. And they still said that they wanted to have a public baptism. In the book of 1 Samuel, we read, The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered him, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again the Lord called, Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called, Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, 
calling, as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then the Lord said, speak, for your servant is listening. Sometimes it takes more than one attempt before we realize it is the Spirit speaking to us. But God will keep on trying until we understand. As we hear the Spirit's voice and in obedience act on what we hear, we learn to trust that the Holy Spirit will not lead us astray. And when we make a mistake, he will help us along the way. So those are the two stories that we've shared today to show that listening to the Spirit isn't something that's confined to the mission field. It doesn't have to be something loud and dramatic. In the case, the first case, we didn't see a loud and dramatic um, end to the story yet. In the second example, we did see something dramatic. In Germany, I took a course on trauma healing to help me better minister to the refugees fleeing war and violence. And in Canada, I was very surprised that this seems to be the avenue that the Lord is opening up here, is offering these trauma healing courses. And it's led me to become a National Trauma Healing Ministries Coordinator for Connecting Streams, which is a ministry of power to change. And I love that, how we work together. And it's not whether you work for this group or this group or that group. It's are you a faithful servant of Jesus Christ? And while we were away from Ottawa, an Alliance Church started, an Arabic-speaking Alliance Church. And that's where I help on Saturday mornings online with language, except now it's English as opposed to German. And it's encouraging believers there. It's doing some visits. The visits are obviously curtailed in Ottawa, but visiting newcomers to Ottawa. And Lauren continues his work with the Middle East Concern and is considering more of a leadership role with a group called Loving Muslims Together. You know, as we prepared to leave Germany, we were given a goodbye gift from the local church, and we saw it as an encouragement as we try to navigate serving back in Ontario. For those who don't read German, it's from 2 Corinthians 12.9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And another passage that is spoken to us is known as the parable of the growing seed found in Mark 4, 26 to 29. He also said, Jesus, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. And this parable reminds us that it's the Holy Spirit who is in charge of the work. But it also means that the man scatters the seed. So that is part of obedience to what we're called. Prayer, that is the absolute focus. But also being willing to take a risk when we're not sure, when we're nervous. That is the part of obedience. God is at work, and we are privileged to see that in Germany, but he's equally at work in Ontario. In four years in Germany, we learned to listen to the quiet nudging of the Holy Spirit, even when we didn't feel like it. And we learned how we need to learn to trust his voice. So how do we learn to listen and to trust? It starts by taking a step of faith. When we spend time with God, we learn to listen to the Spirit, to pick his voice out from among the babble of this world. 
once we learn to hear the Spirit and take tentative steps of obedience, it becomes easier the next time to realize who is speaking, just like we read in the book of Samuel. Now that we are officially retired, we are just as busy here as we were in Germany. It seems that the Holy Spirit had in mind using the experiences from Germany to help with refugees here. Even in COVID, online cafes, helping refugees with paperwork, supporting the pastor of the Arabic Bible Church, digital mentoring through the Alliance, bringing hope through to India, Vivian's trauma healing groups. And we'd be happy, if you want to hear more, we'd be happy to talk with about any of these opportunities for service with you after the service or tonight. As an educator, Vivian asks a lot of questions. And after a Bible study, she likes to ask the group, what did you learn from this passage? Now, we're not going to put you on the spot this morning. But we will ask you, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? What action are you being called to? The Holy Spirit empowered us to move outside our comfort zones, to take risks. It was and is not always easy. Are you sensing a quiet nudging from the Holy Spirit this morning? Take the next step. Test it out. Will you join us in prayer? Father God, we thank you for the empowering of your spirit. And we just pray that we would all, each one of us, in this room and online, be listening for your spirit's voice speaking to us. Father, we pray as well for R and her husband A and their children that we've spoken about this morning. We pray that your spirit would draw them to you that they would become interested in hearing about the Jesus who loves them. We pray for H and for O as they continue their walk in faith with you, that your spirit would be guiding them. We thank you for your love, Lord, and for your direction, and for the gift of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.